Engage quantum drive. Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And I'm Mark. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of the Orville, except sometimes we go off on side missions where we talk about other Orville-related things. Today, we'll be discussing the novel Sympathy for the Devil, which was written by Seth MacFarlane. We do have a new review to talk about before we get into the episode. This one comes in from Planet and Sky, who starts off by saying, fantastic coverage of a great show. I've listened to all the season three shows and quite a few of the early ones, and I am so impressed at how consistently you dive deep into each one, providing great insights and sharing your love for it. I also listened to three of the recent guest interviews, which were awesome. You guys seem to know how to get your guests to loosen up and be themselves, revealing the really good people behind the characters and crew. I hope very much we get a season four so I can hear you many more times. In the future. In the in future. The future. 100%. That's so sweet. Plus, I also have been thinking a lot about a season four and painfully waiting for an announcement. Yes. So I am keeping everything crossed that that will be announced soon. And I would love to just keep dissecting this show. And I, I'm really glad they've enjoyed the interviews that we've done. Yeah, they've been so much fun. And they are all available now. So go ahead and uh, check them all out if you haven't already. Listen. Ooh. If you'd like to leave a review, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave five stars, and put your written review in there, and we will probably read it on the show. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so by emailing quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join the Discord by going to thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like access to Mark's alternate one-sentence reviews and bonus podcasts, you can support the show on Patreon at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. So as we said today, we are talking about the audiobook slash novella, which sounds fancier than novel, Sympathy for the Devil. Just as we did with the comic books, I have a brief summary just to kind of remind people of the story because this would be a lot to write down. Plus, I felt weird writing things for a description that was already written like it's written as a book. So if I'm writing, it feels redundant. So I took however long the book is again, I don't remember, and trimmed it down to about three paragraphs just to give people a reminder here. So one day in April 1914, a woman holding a baby rushes into a hotel, gives the baby to the clerk, and then exits after promising to one day return. The baby is given to Gunter and Ilse Vogel, who name it Otto and raise him as their own. Over the years, Otto helps his father out at his bakery until he's old enough to join the army under Hitler's command. At a party, he meets Annalise, and after some time, the two marry, have a son, and Otto moves up the ranks to eventually take command of a labor camp. When two representatives from the International Committee of the Red Cross arrive to inspect the facility, it's revealed that they are in fact Ed Mercer and Kelly Grayson. During an altercation at the camp, a prisoner fires at Otto, but the bullets pass right through him. While Otto is stunned, Ed and Kelly end the simulation and take him out to a shuttle, which brings them to the Orville. We learn that Otto's true name is Adam Collier, and his parents Leonard and Pamela hid him in that simulator so that he wouldn't spend his life in the Krill prison 
that they were taken to after the Krill attacked and seized their research on null space energy. While they were in prison, the simulator adapted to and provided for every need of Adams, unfortunately also indoctrinating him as a Nazi officer in the process. The crew debates on what to do with Adam. Can he accept reality for what it is and move beyond his indoctrination, or should he be held accountable for all the criminal atrocities he committed in the simulator as a Nazi soldier? They decide to try showing him the truth by exposing him to videos of Flash Gordon, the view of space, the ship, and introducing him to his parents. Unable to accept it all, they bring him to the ship's simulator and start a program with Annalise and their son, but Adam realizes that they're not real after all. Later in his frustration, he takes a pulser from an officer and holds them hostage until he can get back to the simulator. He creates a program 10 years after World War II for the victorious Germany and for a moment is happy until Tala enters and stuns him. Adam is soon released into the custody of Leonard and Pamela. He won't be charged for anything, but will need to undergo psychological deprogramming. We cut to far into the future where Adam is working as a baker. A man comes in to get a loaf of bread before suggesting that Adam may have known his mother Claire long ago. Adam says that she helped him through a difficult time and hands the bread to a grown Thai Finn before returning to his baking. I did not expect this when I started reading. At first, I was like, is this where they're going with it? Like, it's a concentration camp. There's Nazis. There's no sign of Ed or Kelly or any of the crew. I was just kind of shocked when I started. But then as I was listening, the more and more I got into it. It was strange as a listening experience at first, because for a while I was listening and just waiting and waiting and waiting. I was like, did I download the right book? I like it started (laughs) off telling me what I was listening to, but I don't know if this is an Orville book. Like what, what is this? It was very strange. And it's a while. I think it's like halfway before we get anything. Mm -hmm. So Just clarifying, I guess, did we all listen to it or did either of you like physically read it? I actually, I know Katie's answer, so it's kind of a silly question. It exposed (laughs) me like that. Yeah, I listened to it because I also wanted to listen to the person who narrated it as well. Yeah, I don't enjoy reading. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just be honest. Fair. So I listened to the audiobook. I have the book itself on Kindle, but. I didn't really look at the book at all. I just purely listened to it. Plus, I can do that while I'm doing other things and I can still retain it a lot better. So, you know, Mm -hmm. time management. Yeah. I mean, I try driving and reading a physical book a lot, but I can't retain it as well. So yeah, yeah. he doesn't do that. I, no, for the record. I don't do that. I'm kidding. <laughs> and don't do that unless you are really good at it. No, don't do it. I'm kidding. Yeah. Don't do it. One of the things, so I listened to this a while ago, so I was kind of reading through my notes and refreshing myself. And one of the benefits I think of listening to this as opposed to reading it I don't know what chapter it was, but they sang happy birthday in German and listening to the audiobook, it's like the chapter starts or something, they're singing it and they actually sang happy birthday in German. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Because if I was reading it, then I would have been like, what? okay, German. And then I would have figured it out later. And then I definitely would have gone back and sang it to mm-hmm. myself. But like, that was kind of cool. I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of things you can do with the audio format that you just can't in the written word. No, I really enjoyed this story, though, because it's so different than I think episodes we see Mm -hmm. in the Orville where it's not 
centrally focused on the crew. It was focused on Adam and his story and how the Orville crew dealt with that. Mm -hmm. Because it's such another, it's another one of those stories where it's not black or white. It's very gray. And I just enjoyed the discussion it brought up. But also like Adam was ingrained in Nazi culture and trying to change that. It seemed like a very huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. And I loved the, you know, not to jump ahead, but I loved the ending because it tied in one of Claire's kids, but also that Adam did find a way to be okay after all of this. Which is nice. It's that thing that we like about the Orville that we say all the time. It's that optimistic take to it. Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing this out there. For the ending, I was like, definitely, I think that's what happened. But I was like, maybe though... Adam was still just being auto in a simulation and Ty went and visited that simulator. Oh, like I I was like, I don't think that's what they were getting at. But I was like, that could be. But I loved the ending so much with it being just as expected that I was like, that was I was just like, oh, it's my favorite. Like, that was great. I also, too, anytime I see something in the future in sci-fi. I'm always like, that's a possible future. Like, that's not a canonical future because they could go back and retcon that if they want to use Ty in a different way. He might not end up in that bakery and with Adam and everything. And I think it's something David Goodman told us too. Like, the comics are canon unless they're not. Yeah. So basically, take it as it is. But if they decide to retcon that on the show, the show takes precedence. But unless spoken otherwise, sure, you can accept that as canon for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that this was supposed to be another episode that they couldn't make because of COVID, right? Yeah. And that's actually in the trivia. I don't know if you want to go over that. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Okay. So Seth MacFarlane originally wrote this as the ninth episode of season three, but the pandemic interrupted production and this episode was scrapped as a result. So he took the script and adapted it into a novelization, which I'm really glad that we got to read it, though it made me really want to see this as an episode. Yeah. Yeah, I would have loved because I think it would have just thrown me for a loop, kind of like how listening to it also threw me for a loop. And I I would have loved that reveal of, oh, they are in a simulation. I thought there was time travel at first, but I kind of loved that they layered in that it was Mm -hmm. a simulation. And he was living in a simulation for almost his whole life. Yeah. The second bit of trivia is the audio version is read by Bruce Boxleitner who portrayed President Alcuzan for several episodes of season three. Yeah, great to hear Bruce back. He had a fantastic voice for this. Mm-hmm. He's like one of the best audiobook readers that yeah. I've heard. He was great. Because I, I talk to Mark sometimes about, there are some people who read audiobooks that just like, I'm like, Mark, I can't stand this person's voice. So then I can't listen to the book. Right. And I just enjoyed that Bruce kind of played with the voices and he did some accents and he he kind of made a world So it felt like, yeah, I'm not seeing an episode, but it felt like I was listening to an actual episode and I could visualize it a lot easier. Yeah, I've heard audiobooks where it feels a little bit like somebody's phoning it in and just reading it for the sake of reading it. He felt like he was doing like a one man show. Yes. Yeah. He really put his all into this and his ability to separate the voices and add in the accents and everything. I thought all that was really spectacular. That being said, the only way I think I would have enjoyed this format more, and again, not to take anything away from Bruce Boxleitner, because as a singular performer, he did an amazing job. And yet when he was reading dialogue of like Tala or Bordas or Ed, 
I wanted to hear their voices. So if it was done as an audio play, I know that's not what you do with audiobooks generally, but as an audio play, I think this would have been just that much better. But for what it was, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. I think he made it special for sure, just by mm-hmm. the fact that he's a part of season three. So it's like kind of the family reading yeah. it too. Yep. So I like that. I'm just throwing it out there. So I listen to audiobooks constantly. I think I'm on roughly my like 100th book of this year. Wow. And he's great. Like, so I'm saying that as someone who it's like, if I'm doing anything at all, my earbuds are in and I'm listening to an audiobook. When you're not listening to Quantum Drive, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. 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 Or, or the other fine geek generation podcasts. Uh, but he really is great. He was fantastic. So it's not just something where it's like, oh, it's fun because it's Orville. Like he's legitimately really good at it. Yeah, completely agree. I'm curious. I know for me, but did either of you figure out that it was a simulation early on or anything? Or when was the moment for you that hit? I learned it was a simulation when the book told us it was a simulation, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Because even when Ed and Kelly showed up, I was in the same camp of like, is this a time travel thing? Like, I don't know exactly what's going on here. Yeah. I was too. I mean, I'm not trying to be like, well, I act. No, I have no idea. <laughs> Until he got like shot and the bolts went yeah, through. Yeah. I went, simulator. Like, yep. that was a good reveal. Absolutely. I was reminded, I know I said it already a little bit, but I was reminded of how much I don't enjoy books as a medium. <laughs> I, I feel like books are the superior form of entertainment because so many good TV shows and movies are based off of books. Mm-hmm. But I've recently gotten back into reading, but I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, Rob. Okay, so there's a few reasons I don't enjoy reading. The main one is like when I'm reading, there's nothing to visually hold my attention. And I'm an incredibly visual person. Like I can read the comic books because the comics have something. I'm a child and I need pictures is what I'm saying. No, <laughs> I, because I'm a visual person, I need something visual to hold my attention and black ink on a white paper just doesn't do that. So my mind wanders while I'm reading and I'll somehow read through like three pages and not know what I just read. My mind was elsewhere and I'll be like, oh no. And I have to go back and reread them. And it's I do not that. a good experience. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. I don't like it. I do that with audiobooks sometimes too. If I'm on a walk or I'm doing a chore, my mind will be. And that's usually how I can tell if I don't like the audiobook. If that mm. is frequently happening, mm. then I kind of go, oh, clearly it's not holding my attention. Yeah. But I used to read books when I was a kid. And, you know, those big 800 page books, I just read them all in two days. And I, I don't know if it's just like as I've gotten older, reading has lost a little bit of its magic mm-hmm. or my attention span. But the reason I think that is like I am in my 30s and early 30s, I should say. (laughs) But the thing about it is like we didn't have like the Internet in the way that we do now. Yeah. And so we didn't have as many distractions. Like I didn't have a smartphone that I could just pick up and have access to the entire world, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder if because of those shifts or streaming services where you can literally Mm. pick anything you want to watch at any point in time, like. When we would go to the movies, you could only see that movie in the movies. Mm-hmm. You'd have to mm-hmm. wait till it came out on DVD before you could bring it home. Or VHS. Or VHS. <laughs> <laughs> or Laserdisc. <laughs> but it's just something where I think nowadays we have so much competing for our attention that books are not as flashy. 
Yeah. Which is kind of sad. That's probably part of it. Although, I mean, I never enjoyed it even prior to the smartphones and everything. <laughs> the other, the other, I mean, one, it takes so much longer for me to consume a book than it does yeah. like a TV show or a movie. That's another thing. And like you said, we all have much less time these days to do stuff. Yeah. And when it comes to the way a book is written and the way they give you information, it feels like they're getting into a lot of minutia that seems unnecessary to me. And it slows down the pace quite a bit. For instance, there's a part in the book where they rehash Claire's entire reason for being on the ship and how it made Ed feel in a certain moment. And on one hand, I understand that because that's definitely for people who have never seen the show and they want to learn more about the interactions and relationships between these characters. But then on the other hand, like I have seen the show and I don't know how many people are going to be reading this who haven't seen the show. Fair. Yeah. I do feel like they do that for the people who are, oh, what's this? And they just buy it and listen yeah. to it and it gives some background. Maybe it's a gateway for book readers to finally watch the Orville and see Maybe. The, like, the amazing thing that it is. I do feel like, I just think there's too many things pulling out our, our attention nowadays. Well, I will say if you're not really a book reader, because my biggest problem is I just read so darn slow that like you said, I mean, I have I have books I started a year ago and I'm still reading them just because it takes me that long and lack of time. But mm -hmm. if you're in that same boat, boy, have we got a novella for you. It's it's <laughs> yeah. this one is the one. This is this the is one. The, yeah, but, this is the gateway to get more people to watch the show. I thought one of the things that I appreciated, well, as far as the like Claire stuff, I won't lie. I didn't remember that. And mm -hmm. so to me, I was like, oh, this is a nice little insight. How fun. And I think there's something with Tala as well, where it was just kind of yeah. basically telling us what Ed is thinking as he's looking at her or something. And those were cool little moments that I was like, you can't get unless you do a voiceover, which a lot of times cheapens shows and movies and right. stuff. That was something I did like is that we got insight inside Ed's brain. Mm -hmm. And like that was just a different perspective that obviously we don't get on the show. So I was excited to be like, he thinks that about this person. And yeah, I guess the other thing too is we do the podcast, Rob. So maybe we're so deep into the Oracle <laughs> that we, we just have it all. Like I have so much of the show just always in my head <laughs> that it's like, yeah. oh yeah, like I don't need your, I know what happened with Kelly, but like, I don't know that we're normal Oracle fans, maybe. <laughs> I was gonna say when Mark said that he didn't remember that piece. I'm like, well, you haven't watched each episode like five or six times right. at least like we have, so. <laughs> right. I thought, because this was Seth MacFarlane was the writer, correct? Mm -hmm. correct? So like one of the things I really appreciated in the first part of it, because like you said, I'm going, oh, okay, Nazis. And all right, it was that for half the book. But I went, I'm just going to trust it because they always know what they're doing. And I really appreciated how he went about it wasn't just Nazis, here's the big bad. And the kind of same way, it was more of like a ground level look at things and like an everyday view of looking at Otto or Adam and how he kind of got indoctrinated into this cult or culture or whatever of Nazism and was presented in a way where it wasn't just, well, yeah, he's German. It was around World War II, so he's bad and he's a Nazi. It was mm -hmm. like he got beaten up, which was kind of a 
fast-paced, like, he got beaten up, so that's why. But he was dissatisfied with things. And obviously, as the Orville always does, I was like, okay, I can see some of these parallels with where we're living in time right now that are scary, not quite to the extent, but people feeling maybe disenfranchised with the state of the world around them. And so they're going, well, I'm going to go this extreme route because I feel like these people see the world the same way I do. Or then mm. I thought that was also just really well done. And it's just continuing with the show. Like it's presented in a way that's fair and approachable and not just kind of broad strokes of Nazi evil. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I just appreciate it. It's in that. that gray area a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. What did you all think? Did you like it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. If it were an episode, I'm trying to think about that. Like, I know the intention was to make it into an episode and then they made it into a novel. I think it worked better as a novel. I'm not sure if I would have loved the episode that much because, for one, I'm not a huge fan of period pieces. So just as you have your bugaboo, Katie, of like, I don't like this kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't generally love period pieces. So spending half the episode in that time and not having a character, like I know we were being introduced to Adam and given his whole backstory, but the whole time I was like, where are the characters I want to hang out with? Like, where are they? (laughs) And they didn't show up until like halfway through the book. And there were no sci-fi elements like there were no hints at what was going on. And I wonder if that would have helped it a little bit to have some like, oh, this is weird. Like this thing kind of happened in some sort of sci-fi element creeping in, suggesting that he wasn't a simulator without completely giving it away. I wonder if that would have helped the story or even if we knew earlier if we had figured out that he was in a simulator by some of those subtle things, but he didn't know yet. And now we're experiencing the second half of his story, knowing that he's in a simulator. How would that change our perspective as the reader? Yeah, I really like this. And I grew up watching a lot of war movies and learning a lot about World War II. Mm -hmm. So I think I was immediately drawn to this because I'm like, oh, I'm fascinated by this World War II history. And I didn't expect concentration camps and then how this all I was just eagerly anticipating seeing how they tied in the Orville Mm. to this subject matter. So I'm just sitting there like you at the beginning. I'm like, is this the right book? Did they somehow put the wrong book with the the right title? And so when they did get to the Orville stuff, I really love the discussion that it brought up. Mm -hmm. And like the title, Sympathy for the Devil. You grow up with Adam, Otto, essentially, and the simulation did that. Like, that's what's scary, is that Mm -hmm. the simulation created this story for him. Mm -hmm. And he survived in this, created a life, and then he's being torn from it. And he still has all these Nazi ties, and he's not willing to adapt and change. And so I feel like it was a really good discussion that I think brought to the screen would have been a very different and intriguing episode that I probably would have really liked. Mm. But I'm appreciative that they made it into a book so I can at least experience this part of the world in a different way. And I'm like, it's kind of cool. They have a novella now. They have comics. They have the TV show. And I just hope that it keeps growing its own universe. Mm. Uh, Because I think this kind of fills it out a little bit. One of the things that just dawned on me as you were talking about the simulator adapting that I didn't really think about until now is that 
we were told by Ed, I believe, that the simulator adapted to like what Adam's desires were and to protect him and give him everything he needs and stuff like that. And we know that it led him into the Nazi indoctrination because the simulator is not like Nazis are bad. Like it doesn't care. It has no moral code in that sense. But the thing that just occurred to me that I was like, wait, if that's true, then why is this true? Explain the bullies then. Why is the simulator creating bullies that would attack Adam if its job is to protect Adam? I would say it's because the simulator is trying to present a realistic depiction of that period and Mm -hmm. that you would have just kind of roving groups of maybe Nazi youth or non-Nazi youth because Germany was in a rebuilding period at that stage and people who are going, hey, I just need anything I can get. And so that would be my thought is Mm -hmm. that it's just kind of like, well, you're the user, but you want a real experience. So here we go. That's what it was actually like. Yeah. Without like knowing the parameters of what the program actually are, it's hard to say. And Ed could have been exaggerating to the sense of like, oh, it's protecting him. Like that could be in the general sense of keeping him alive, but not necessarily like protecting him from all harm. Yeah. Because his mom brought him in there. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, it was just like, take care of him, and then runs out. And when you look back yeah. at the beginning of the book and what you know by the end, it's kind of a wild journey to think that someone could survive in a simulator yeah. for that long. I mean, the mm-hmm. it would make food. It would, it's just, it would, that was really fascinating to me, that whole. Yeah. And I love the simulator. And I know we get tastes of it a bit in the show, mm-hmm. but this was like a full on simulator thing. So I know you're saying like, oh, there's no sci fi elements, but the whole thing that, Otto Adam was doing was a sci-fi element. Right, right. Yeah. But I know what you mean, though. There's no like breadcrumbing It's different in hindsight, yeah. 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 I think the only thing that in my head, because when Rob, you mentioned like if they had breadcrumbed it a little bit, I'm like, they could have had in a TV episode the parents drop him off, but they're not in period dress. Right, Like that would have been maybe just a quick... If it's literally like, here, take my baby, take care of him, and they run out, and you're like, oh, are they dressed different? And then if you notice it quick enough, maybe, but otherwise. Because that still feels like time travel, too, which is what we assumed anyway. So it's a good early breadcrumb. Like, we know we're watching or listening to the Orville. So we know it's going to be sci-fi. We just don't know how yet. Yeah. And I mean, the only other thing I would say is bringing Ed and Kelly in earlier Mm. or something like that. That would be about it. But I thought, cause I'm very, whenever I watch or listen to or read or whatever, anything, my brain is very just, this is pretend. And I don't get as emotionally invested in things as some people do, which I'm like, I wish I could. But when I thought about, okay, let's say that one day I'm washing dishes or something, and then just the world around me dissolves into a spherical room and someone walks in and goes, hey, all of that was fake. I'm like, that's really insane. Yeah. Because I don't know. <laughs> it's it's easy to be like, oh, he's just he's having a hard time because he was a Nazi or whatever. But like imagining that even if I'm not a Nazi, but just I have my life and then to go, oh, Never mind, that's not going to be a switch for anybody to just go like, yeah, okay, cool. I accept this. Right. It's that idea of people being like, oh, there's a possibility we're all living in a simulation. 
And yet <laughs> the first part of his story is that like his world just dissolved around him and there's nothing else he knows. So that would be insanely confusing and even more difficult for him that he yeah. doesn't have the amount of sci-fi media that we do. Like if that <laughs> happened, it would be catastrophic, but we could then eventually logically put the pieces together. Like if someone was like, oh, you were in a simulator the entire time, be like, I know what that is. <laughs> like he doesn't, yeah. but we could say that. I yeah. watched the Orville. I can kind of be okay with this. Like, <laughs> yeah, because he didn't have any, you know, he didn't have Star Trek or Star mm-hmm. Wars or any Orville. Flash Gordon or any... was like the only thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, I'm just saying it's not the same. It's not to the level of this stuff, no. No. Yeah, that oh. would be awful, though. Just like my world. Ooh. And then it's just like, yeah, you know, none of this was real. I, mm-hmm. But it showed, I really enjoyed the dialogue about how it showed how deeply ingrained mm-hmm his indoctrination into Nazism was like, yes, the world did this. And he's like, nope, I'm still stoically standing by all this stuff. And it's, yeah, I thought that was an interesting commentary on how people can be brainwashed into what they believe in. For sure. That also leads to the question they ask of him, which is the story trying to debate whether or not Adam can be held accountable for the crimes that he committed there because he thought everything in there was real. But as Kelly says, the quote unquote wrinkle is that none of it actually is real. What did you guys think about that? I feel like since he thought it was real, there's an issue with that inherently that Mm -hmm. shows he was programmed to do these things, but maybe he can be deprogrammed. But the fact is, is like there's that one concentration camp scene when he's like directing people to be shot and stuff like you can't really just excuse that away because it was fake. I don't think. I think it it kind of goes back to the people who were actually in that position. And, you know, a lot of them said, like, we were just doing our jobs. We didn't have another choice and that kind of thing, which this is, I guess, just sci-fiing it to make it. Well, it wasn't physically, technically real, but that. And so I don't know if it was just continuing that question of, how accountable should like a Nazi foot soldier be held who, again, the argument for them was, well, I was just doing my job and it's Mm -hmm. the only way I could make money or provide for my family or whatever. It was war, that kind of stuff, which I'm not necessarily saying like, oh, I agree with that. It's just, this is, I guess, going, well, what if it was a simulation? You still did it. Well, it's Otto. We get like insight into Otto Adams' headspace, though. And Mm -hmm. I feel like he was very like, obviously, third right. This is the way to do it. (laughs) So like, so he inherently wasn't just doing it as a job. Like he believed in the cause and was acting upon it in a very pompous, like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. I had a note in my big spreadsheet type thing that said, oh, now Otto's a Nazi Nazi. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, he was he was yeah. a full on Nazi Nazi. Yeah. yeah. He's a Nazi capital N. I'm on the as usual. I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum from Katie. <laughs> what? Oh, okay. I'm I'm listening. This barely even felt like a debate to me. Like I, I was like, you can't have a crime where there's no victim. He can't be charged with anything. Mentally though, he's committed crimes. This is like minority report. I know. Future crime. Future crimes. What crime? His crime is the thought process that he thought it was right to do that. To Thoughts are not person. a crime. Simulate. Okay. If you're in a simulation mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, you need to murder this person. 
but you don't know that you're in a simulation. Mm -hmm. So you murder the person. It makes me a bad person, but I didn't commit a crime. There's no victim. Who did I hurt? I mean, I I know what you're saying, but like, I think, I think for me, it's too hard to be like, I think the word, so I think that I'm separating crime in the literal sense with bad action. So I agree. He did bad stuff. Yeah. He did horrible stuff. He did unforgivable stuff in his mind, but he didn't actually commit a crime because a crime has like a legal precedent around it. So he didn't actually kill anybody. He didn't actually hurt anybody. If anything, he's the one who's been hurt. And I think a lot of the reason that he did what he did, as Ed demonstrates in the way I did not expect whatsoever when he punches him. Yeah. yeah. That simulator protected him to such a level that he never felt pain. Again, I don't know how he avoided that with the whole bully encounter and stuff. Like they roughed him up and everything. And yet getting punched by a physical person was the first time he felt pain, apparently. So he had zero empathy. And that's not his fault. He was untouchable in the simulator. Exactly. So he did the things he did because he had no sense of morality around that because he had no empathy because he didn't know pain was a thing. Like if you were sent to kill people and you didn't know that it killed them, (laughs) like wrap your head around that. That's such a weird thing. Yeah. The way that I look at it is he can't be put on trial or put in prison but he needs to go through some major like mental health. Absolutely. Yes. Deprogramming. And I feel like they gave us that at the end. Like he worked it out. He's doing okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, he's got a bakery, guys. Uh, <laughs> which I'm really glad there was a little bit of like that optimistic hopefulness because it's just like, it's a heavy story. And then you think about how much we got to know Otto, Adam, and he was a hard character to like. Like he, he was, was really hard to to care about because you're just like, he was Nazi full on. And I feel like part of it is, yeah, he can't be put in prison for it, but he needs to work on himself a bit. Oh, yeah, he's also not someone you can let into society. He's not safe no, to around other people. He's not a safe person. <laughs> no. Okay, I don't know the right way to like logic puzzle this, but... <laughs> Go for it. Okay, if someone now at this point kills... <laughs> a Kalon, are they actually committing murder since they have a shared consciousness that doesn't, like if you lose one unit, does it actually affect everybody? So then my brain goes to, well, if that is a crime, Mm -hmm. then if Adam is in a simulator and he's killing portions of the AI within the simulator's programming, even though it doesn't hurt the overall simulator, Mm -hmm. then would that also, in fact, be a crime? Or if it's not a crime to kill a Kalon unit, then I guess problem solved. I guess the technicalities of that come down to whether Kalon have like specific rights and whether holograms have specific rights. Right. And I don't know if that quite evens out, but when you guys were talking, that's what my brain was mm-hmm. going through as well. Wait, because I'm very much in the middle. I'm, I it's don't a logical take, I don't like to take sides on most <laughs> things. So I'm kind of, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I can see why that could 
be like a crime, but I can also see that technically by the book, it's not maybe We're just going to have me and Katie pop up like angels and devils on your shoulders and be like, but Mark, it's this way. But Mark, it's it's this this way. way, (laughs) (laughs) The one more thing that I just was like, I have to mention Mm -hmm. that I loved about this book. There were little tiny lore drops that were sprinkled throughout like... When humanity, I mean, they've kind of talked about this in the past, but humanity got rid of zoos because they were like, all animals are like very sentient Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. They mentioned something all I have on here is prison reform. Like at some point they had a major overhaul of their prison system. Mm -hmm. And then when Earth decided we were not going to have nations or borders anymore, And like they mentioned something about the water wars and invention of the synthesizer and all this stuff. And I was like, give me just like an Orville encyclopedia with snippets of all of these. Like, what are the water wars? Yeah. And I'm I mean, like I can gather what they were, but I'm like, I want to know about all these other little just like, oh, by the way, here's a little something else to just be like, give me more Orville. And this did that a lot. I wrote down that same thing about the earth no longer having the political boundaries separating countries. I was like, wait, what? That's like, they just (laughs) dropped that there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I enjoyed this medium because I feel like they could pepper in things that we can't get in in the show. Similar to the comics, like we Mm -hmm. get stuff that is deeper Orville, deeper lore, or even like tiny little Easter eggs that they're like, hey, you, you read the book, you get this little tidbit. And I like that because I feel like it makes it a rewarding experience to listen to the book or read it or dive because the comics are great too. So if you haven't listened or read the comics, you should do that. They're like episodes. And I felt like this was, I don't know, I just really enjoyed that they put this out. Yeah. And I feel like they did it having Bruce read it. Like, it's not just like, hey, we did this. Like, they put a lot of care into this, just like Mm -hmm. they do the show. They put effort and it shows. Mm. Yeah, while this wasn't my preferred format, and I absolutely would have rather seen an episode, I would have been more upset if I knew there was a story lingering that I wasn't being given. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just in the ether, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, we have another episode, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so the fact that we got it at all makes me happy, so... Yeah. yeah. I will say once more that I loved the ending, the epilogue specifically with Ty. I was just like... Oh, this is just so good. Like I, and it was the perfect little cherry on top of the cake. And I thought about if they had made this in an, into an episode, I don't think they would have had that epilogue because they wouldn't have wanted to go forward. And it would have been a much sadder ending because mm-hmm. it would have just been, well, hopefully he'll be okay. Good luck guys. Either that or it just wouldn't have been Ty. It would have been just somebody coming in to buy bread, but it doesn't hit the same Mm -hmm. because Claire wouldn't have been brought up and all that stuff. So yeah. And I can't remember because, but I think there was a line about how homemade bread tastes different than simulation bread. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that line specifically because I'm like, I do feel like probably computers can make stuff taste good, but there's probably something that's made by hands and with hopefully some love in it that tastes different than, you know, hey, computer, make me a sourdough loaf. I enjoyed that because that to me is a little lore drop about the world, too, because we just see the food being made, but we don't really know. Oh, does it taste better? Is it good? Like that kind of stuff. And we just got a little more lore in the sense that it's not too often we see how transactions take place. 
mm-hmm. where there is no money. Like Ty mm-hmm. just comes in, gets the loaf. Thank you. Takes off. End of transaction. That's it. Yeah. yeah. In a perfect world. i'd still do a lot of baking not gonna lie yeah (laughs) someone's got to build a simulator so we can just move on from it you know exactly unless there's anything else to say about the story i do have an email to get to (gasps) yes i wanted to save it till the end until we had our discussion because it does talk about some of the things Mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember katie we had an email from a blind listener named angie yes who we asked to please email us again after they had read the book. And we have a fairly lengthy email. I might not read the entire thing, but I'm going to give you a a bit of it because we did get a response. Yes, I'd love to hear it. Okay, so Angie says, I'm so glad you guys are doing a podcast on Sympathy for the Devil. You asked me to email with my thoughts about descriptions and I'm happy to oblige. I have a few other comments as well. This is not a brief missive, so please feel free to condense (laughs) or to ignore part or all of it. I write a lot in my day job. Okay, so I read the novella when it first came out and then immediately reread it. I re-reread it while composing this email and all of that time was well spent. First, the descriptions. This book presented a wonderful opportunity to describe characters and scenery from the POV of a new character. The description of Isaac in chapter 11 helps solidify my mental picture of him. I don't know why, but I had been imagining him with a square head. Interesting. So up to this point, Angie was unaware of the shape of Isaac's head through all of these episodes. Wow. So it's interesting that that was a big reveal here for her. Yeah. That's really interesting. While I think the character descriptions of Tala and Bordis work for the story, they were filtered through the lens of someone who was understandably afraid and who had no frame of reference for what he was seeing. One day I want to sit down with a friend and have them describe the Orville's aliens in detail. I still don't feel like I have a good idea of what Tala and Bordis look like. I don't fault the story for this. Adam's reactions and the accompanying descriptions of characters make perfect sense in the context of the narrative, but I would like to understand more about Tala's scales and ears and the shape of Bordas's head. So all of that is still a lot of a mystery. And there is a part of me that was like, Katie, do we have to do like a bonus episode where we're just describing all the characters and the ships? And I literally, as you were reading... Yeah, when you were reading that, I'm like, oh, I'll talk to Rob and maybe we can do that. I will legitimately just make this episode for Angie. And then if other people want to listen to it, too. I'm 100% down to do that because that's why I love that they made this book because I didn't even think about that. It helps make the world more clear for people Mm -hmm. who can't watch the show. So just with that alone, I love that they made this book. So yeah, Rob, we should we should talk. I kind of want to do that. Yeah, we should do that. I think it would be fun (laughs) and an interesting challenge for us. Yeah, I I was already starting to think about like, all right, Tala, we could just like, I was already starting to do it in my head. So yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Oh, wow. I got a lot out of the descriptions of certain parts of the ship. For example, I don't believe I knew that there was a spiral staircase leading to the bridge before I read this novella. It might have been mentioned in some of the audio descriptions for the show, but I didn't really conceptualize it until I read Sympathy for the Devil. So while I would like more info about Tala and Bordis, not to mention some of the other aliens we've seen on the show... The novella did help me visualize certain aspects of the Orville universe. So much fun. Unrelatedly, I think Sympathy for the Devil probably worked better as a novella than it would have as an episode because the medium of print or audio or braille presents unique challenges in dealing with simulated characters. Simulations have no thoughts or feelings for an omniscient third-person narrator to relay. Seth wrote entire scenes described only in terms of what would be apparent to an external observer. To me, this is the most impressive aspect of Sympathy for the Devil. 
That's interesting too. Mm-hmm. Which is, I guess, kind of the way that the episodes are presented. So it is written in the style of a TV episode. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he definitely had to flesh out things yeah. to make it a novella. Which Absolutely. He probably had the bones for it. And then he's just like, let's add, this is really gross. Let's add the skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's add the muscle. An episode would have been amazing. And there would no doubt have been many stellar special effects. But with the novella, we get an equally mind-blowing experience. We get to read several chapters without being inside anyone's head except for Otto slash Adam owned his mother for one very brief moment in the prologue. The conversation between the clerk, the maid, and the other characters in the prologue is a fantastic example of this. The only sentient being in that scene is a sleeping baby. We are told that he is blissfully unaware of what is going on around him, and then the simulated characters proceed to decide his fate, but only because the simulation is adapting to his presence. I had to reread the book immediately after I finished it the first time, just to see if I could catch a slip-up where we were told what any of the simulated characters were thinking or feeling. I didn't find any. That's how amazingly talented Seth MacFarlane is. I'm sure others have commented on this, but I haven't read any of those comments, so I had to throw in my two cents. I actually did end up reading this entire email. So <laughs> if you I, made I it to the end, awesome. yeah. 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 If you made it to the end, I'm impressed. Thank you both again for Quantum Drive. Hey, thank you for sharing your thoughts about the book because you brought up some good points that we didn't discuss or even mm-hmm. really think about. And I, I have to agree. I feel like the writers for the Orville and Seth MacFarlane, and I always say it, but they're just kind of geniuses. Mm-hmm. The way that they write and are able to intertwine things and be smart about how information is presented without giving away too much. I didn't even think about how like, oh, the baby is the sentient thing that we are seeing this world through. Yeah. And we're not getting any interrupting thoughts from that. And also just, yeah, that's honestly something I didn't even think about. And there's a lot of ways you can perceive that because... Sometimes that's just the storytelling device. Like you're only following one character and you only only always get their internal monologue. So that's the way I was perceiving it. But it works from both perspectives Mm -hmm. of the fact that, well, none of these other characters have an internal monologue, which of course we didn't know at the time. But yeah, it's super cool to look back on that. Yeah. Well, Angie, thanks for sharing your thoughts and perspective. That's just awesome. Yeah, I love that. That was great. Taking the time to do that too, I really appreciate. Because I mean... That's not like a short amount, like, oh, I'm going to just whip out an email real quick. I really appreciate you sharing your (laughs) Mm -hmm. insight because I do feel like it helps give me insight. So thanks, Angie. Yeah. Anything else before we wrap up this episode? I don't think so. I just think uh, we need to get on coming up with descriptions. My brain is already trying to be like, (laughs) how would I describe Bordis? And so, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. Yeah, it is interesting. Okay, well, then we're going to wrap this up for now. But this isn't the last episode we have planned. Obviously, apparently, we have a audio description episode coming up in the near future. (laughs) But then we also have our Meet the Hosts episode that Katie and I will be recording where you can learn a little bit more about us and what we do and what we're into. And one of the big questions asked was, hey, how'd you guys actually meet? So (laughs) that's one of the things we'll be talking about during that. I'm excited. And thank you, Mark, for joining us today. And I'm Mark. (laughs) Great job, Mark. I'm Mark. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Quantum Drive is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on the Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at the Rob Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Katie Play and on Twitch at Katie Peters Plays. 
and Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.